0: Tonight we are talking about love. Uh, Love. You know, love. We might say that love has has fallen on hard times lately. Maybe it's in kind of an identity crisis. Because if it's it's true for you, it's true for me that that we love all kinds of things. We love iced coffee. We love Taco Bell or Taco Bueno. Uh, We love um, football. We love hoodies. We love uh, our parents. We love Race for Reconciliation. We love uh, TU. We love grass. Some of us love trees. We love uh, sorority sisters that we just met yesterday. I was in a sorority. I can say that. Um, We love all kinds of things. And because we love all kinds of things, we love so many things, maybe we might think about what it means to love anything at all. Because we love everything, what is it like to love something? What is it like to love someone? Maybe a better question. So as always, we're going to look at the Bible. And we're going to see how the Bible talks about love. And what we're going to try and do is... Um, i 'm going to set up what I think in my best understanding of, of what 's happening in the culture and kind of a cultural perception and ideology of love to, to bring that out and to talk about that and then look at what the bible says about love and then lastly, I want us to consider how it is that we move forward in some very specific applications of this love. So let me read for us tonight from uh, john first john four seven through twenty one let me pray for us before we look at this. Father, I pray, as I do every week, that you would send your spirit to open our eyes, uh, the eyes of our heart and our ears, unstop our ears so that we might hear from you in this time. We pray uh, for those who are here and are considering uh, faith. We pray that you would meet them and you would help answer questions. We pray for those of us in here who uh, you have already given us faith and we believe in Jesus. We pray that you would strengthen us and further uh, uh, sanctify and and help us to be more like Christ and to love others with the love that he has given us. Uh, Lord, wherever we are, we pray that you would come and meet us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read this passage for us from 1 John. It says this Beloved, let us love one another. Not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation. Big word, it just means satisfactory payment. To be this propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is God's Word. Uh, This past week, I ran across a a TED talk, a TEDx talk at a a place called Chapman University in California. And there was a woman on there named Mandy Lynn Catron, or Catron, I'm I'm not sure. And in her talk, she discussed an article that she had written uh, very recently uh, in the New York Times called, To Fall in Love with Anyone, Do This. To fall in love with anyone, and do this. And in that article, she discusses this uh, social experiment. She's a journalist, and she discusses this social experiment that she and some uh, friends conducted where they, uh, they get two strangers, and they, th- these two strangers sit down and ask each other 36 scripted questions uh, with increasing degrees of seriousness. And then at the end of those 36 questions, those two people sit across from each other and stare into each other's eyes for four minutes. Could there be anything worse for some of you in here? (laughs) That that just sounds like the worst thing ever. For the extroverted of us, that's amazing, and we would love to do it. Well, um, some of the questions are this. Uh, Question number 18. If you could wake up tomorrow having gained any one quality or ability, what would it be? That's a fun question. Maybe we'll ask it next week for the name tags. Uh, Question number 28, which we won't ask for the name tags. Um, When did you last cry in front of another person? Or, Or maybe even just by yourself? Question number 30. Tell the other person what you like about them. Be very honest this time. Saying things you might not say to someone you just met, except you just met them. And there's six more after that. I don't know what happens after that. She wouldn't tell us. Um, She published this article on a Friday evening. And by Saturday morning when she woke up, she had been contacted already by the Today Show and Good Morning America. And they had something very, um, very interesting to ask Mandy. Because the thing about Mandy is at the end of this experiment, she did it. And in the process of her question and staring, she fell in love with this person that she was doing it with. And she entered into a dating relationship with this person. And so as Good Morning America and uh, and the Today Show called her, she says that, and others, many, many, many others, she said that people had become fascinated with this question, particularly that it worked on her, the very one who's conducting the experiment. She said people became fascinated with this People wanted to know if the study could produce real love, sustainable love, love that would last. Could this study produce real love, sustainable love, love that would last? I think that question is something that we all, at some of us are asking, not about the study, but about that kind of love, real love sustainable love, love that can last and can weather diversity and storms and and whatever comes our way. And not only do I think that's something we can understand, I think it's something we all want deeply, some of us desperately even. And so the question that we need to ask is kind of necessarily then, what is love? What is love? How would I know it if I found it? And what I want to suggest, as I I did a second ago, is that our our kind of culture, you know, and I don't say culture pejoratively, but just the air we breathe out in the world societally, there are are ideas and ideals about love which are very prevalent, not just out there, but by and large, because of their prevalence, they are what many of us just kind of default into thinking about love. So there's that out there, and what I want to do is to look into that and to talk about it for a second and, and try to affirm what we can, but also to maybe critique that a little bit and to begin to look at some of the weaknesses of, of the culture's view of love. And then I want to look at what the Bible says. Okay, so um, let's look at this first thing the art, uh, sorry, the cultural view of love. Now, whenever we start talking about culture, one of the easiest places to go and the best places to go to figure out what a culture believes about blank is to art. To the arts, to film, or to music, or to uh, paintings and different media of art. And so what I'm calling this first type of love is movie love. I'm calling it movie love, and you'll see it right up there. The thing that we have to know about movie love is that that they make it to look so easy. So easy. We know that. I don't even have to make that point. It's just an observation. And really, another thing is that that love that we witness in the movies or we see kind of happen uh, out there is it's, it's meant to, to look like it's just mostly fun. And it's easygoing, and it's all smiles, and we just kind of float along and go from restaurant to bar to having a great night afterward. And it's just all happy. Um, and it's always the same formula. There is person A, who inevitably is really attractive. sees person B, who is very beautiful, and they fall in love over a set of circumstances. And then at some point, um, they get together and they, and they realize, hey, you're beautiful, I'm beautiful, let's get together and we can make beauty. And then the movie turns at some point and they have some kind of adversity that they face. And it's through that adversity that they really discover that there's actually a deeper love there. And they embrace it and they make out and have sex or something and get married and it's the end. Y'all, that's every single romantic comedy ever, ever, (laughs) ever. And it's about 90% of the successful Disney movies. Don't challenge me on that. We've got a lot of Disney showing at the Corbin House right now. It's just it. It It's low-hanging fruit. It's something that the movie industry recognizes. Hey, people love this idea. They love this story. They're going to come and spend millions of dollars to see our films, and so let's just do it again with different people in a different setting. And here's the thing. We want love to work that way. We want it to be easy. We want it to be fun. We want it to be joyful. Those are not necessarily bad longings. We just do. Those are fine things to want. But the difficulty is that that's not reality. We can't have love like that because that kind of love actually doesn't exist. It's romanticized. It's a fictitious picture of love. And it tells us that love is easy and fun, and it makes me feel great, and it will lead to a happy life for me. And it's really just between two people, so whatever anyone else thinks doesn't really matter. And if it ceases to be any of those things, then I am free to get out of it at any point. So let me, um, let me make this very clear. The default way that most of us... And I throw myself into that, y'all. I'm not like, I haven't risen above this, and I'm speaking from on high. The default way that most of us approach love is largely consumeristic. Whatever meets my felt needs at any given time. Whatever I feel like at a given time is my, is my and your grid for, dis, for decision making. We define love as that thing that I feel when someone or something makes me feel good in the moment. It's this metaphysical experience. I like the way that she makes me feel. I like the way that he makes me feel. I like the way that burrito made me feel. I like the way T.U. football makes me feel or that my sorority makes me feel. I'm just going to keep going there. Um, I love it because of the way it makes me feel. Let me give us a definition that I'm going to work from, kind of summing this up. A friend of mine named Matt Howell uh, said this. I think it's pretty good. Love is when someone or something makes me feel good right now. And that, friends, is why we say we love the random and varied things that we say that we love. Love is when something or someone makes me feel good right now. But I know, both personally and also because I talk to you guys, I know that that version and view of love has hurt some of you in very real ways. It has hurt some of you. Um, Because you know that that, a view of love that merely is is satisfied with being the fulfillment of your own personal desires in any given moment, you know that, that you can't hold on to that, that it's fleeting. But you also know that when you're on the receiving end of that kind of love from someone and their mind changes and they leave, you know it's hurtful. And so in a sense, this love isn't to be desired. And for some of you who have been on the receiving end of that, you've kind of maybe thrown up your hands and you see right through it and you're just jaded and cynical about love, about thinking that love will ever be anything different. So I'd like to suggest one thing... (laughs) I can find one thing to affirm about this. There's probably more, but I have a limited mind. Let me talk about one thing that I want to affirm about love in this kind of way, in this this movie Love. And it is this, that emotions, I believe, have an important place in the way that we think about love, in the way that we think about relationships. I think emotions are uh, important. I think we can, in saying that, acknowledge um, that our our culture pays attention to emotion in a way that can be very redeeming and beautiful. Our generation, can I, can I be one of you for a minute? Um, you know, our people. Our generation is hyper emotional. I don't know if you've ever heard that or thought about that for yourself, but in the erosion of the idea of absolute truth, which has very much been going on for 40, 50 years uh, or more, um, something has to kind of rise up to fill that vacuum of how we make sense of the world. And the thing that has risen up has been emotionalism, feelings. And so that's not all bad, but, but there, is, um, there is something about that that is right. And what I think is right about that is none of us would want or to be in or think that this is desirable. To be in some kind of relationship where we, like if it really sucks and is really terrible and awful, we just have to shut up and take it. I hate my husband. I hate my wife. This is awful. But we can't ever talk about it. We, emotional stifling is not to be desired. So there is a healthy sense that being able to talk freely about emotions is good. Okay, let me go to the critique here for just a second. The first critique about movie love is this. Movie love is emotionally driven. It is not just that emotions have a place. It's it's that emotions drive the train in this kind of cultural view of love. Let me see if I can make sense of it. Um, We operate, uh, sorry, if we operate on a definition of love that begins and ends with how something makes me feel, then this kind of love is going to be fraught with all kinds of problems. And one of the problems is that how I feel and how you feel changes all the time, like all the time, all the time. Let's do a little exercise here. Um, Last week, you loved. Blank. Somebody say something you loved last week. Jimmy. Jimmy John's. Last week you loved Jimmy John's. This week you really love Subway instead. Last week you loved bluegrass. bluegrass. This week you do not love bluegrass. Uh, just kidding. Josiah always loves bluegrass. This week, you know, you listen to that to that uh, station so much, or you listen to that Spotify album so much that really you're onto something else. You're more into electronica. Last week you loved. Ice cream. This week you're into hot cider because it's getting a little cooler. Okay? We change. The way we feel about things changes a lot. And so when when your definition of love is driven by emotions, then you have to know that love is going to be this evasive, ever-moving thing and target for you. And if you embrace and set kind of as your worldview a view of love that is emotionally driven, friends, I can promise you, that your experience in relationships will be largely disappointing, confusing, and I would suggest you'll experience a lot of loneliness. Because if love is this ever-moving thing for you, if it's an ever-moving target, then it's going to be hard for you to know what you love. It's going to be hard for others to know what they love or should love. And so it will ever always be out of reach just a little bit. It'll be frustrating, confusing, and lonely. The second thing about movie love is that it is intrinsically self-centered. It's intrinsically self-centered. It's not just, it's not how we feel. Look at the definition, it's how I feel. It's not that I'm considering what, how we're doing together. It's I'm in it for how someone or something makes me feel at any given moment. It's all about me, how I feel, what I get out of it. This person makes me feel good. Uh, They make me feel good about myself, and so I love them. This person no no longer makes me feel good about myself, so I don't love them anymore. I'm out. It's all about me. Thirdly, right there, it's necessarily temporary then. Love, like the movies, is temporary. It can't last. Because it is based on feelings, because it's driven by high sense of emotionalism, it simply can't last, it can't go the distance. This kind of love will come and go. Now, I realize that not all of you have been here for the last few weeks, and that's fine. You're free to go listen to them online. But for those of you who have, let me connect a dot real quick. Um, this kind of love makes sense in light of what we've seen. Because what we have seen in the Bible, um, as the Bible kind of details out how mankind's fall um, into sin works itself out, one of the things I said is that the fall into sin means that by default all of us come into the world with a deep sense of self-centeredness. That it is all about me. It's about my self-protection. It's about my own joy. It's about what I want. It's about my future. It's about my now. It's about what I like. It's just everything about us, apart from God intervening in our life and beginning to change that, we are thoroughly self-centered. And because of that, when all of our relationships flow from that position of self-centeredness, when our when our commitments are based on my feelings, that, friends, we're going to be in a world of hurt. And by the way, that is why we are in a world of hurt, relationally speaking. That is why so many of us in this room really do struggle at a deep level with people. Not just romantically, even with friends, some of you with family, some of you with casual acquaintances. We just don't know what to do. This kind of love has left us wanting. But God is not silent about this. He's not silent on this issue. We see in 1 John that the Bible says something totally different about what love looks like and where it comes from. So let's rethink for just a few moments what our culture says about love and see what the Bible says in opposition. And I'm going to call this gospel love. You could say Bible love. I just thought it had a better ring to it. Um, look, if I were to ask you, where does love come from? Where is its source? How would you answer that? It, it's kind of a weird question. Particularly if you're not coming from a Christian or biblical worldview, if I were to say, what is the origin and the source of love? What would you say? Uh, Maybe it's from within. Maybe love is just an idea out there that I have to kind of go and get my hands around and then force in. Or, I don't know. The Bible answers this question. It has a, a definitive answer for this question. It says that love is from God. Uh, verse 7 right there says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves God has been born of God and knows God. Now, something that needs to be said, I need to say before we go any further, is that in the Christian worldview, love is from God. Now that sounds just like a very bible thing that uh, God is love. You know, and so love is God or or something. I don't know. It sounds just like a very religious thing that we say, but let me tell you what it means. To say that love is from God and it has its origin and source in God means that love was there before anything else was. And I mentioned this the first week or the second week. That we can say that God is the source of love because God himself is A plurality. He is three persons in one being, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so they have eternally existed before the foundation of the world or anything in a relationship of love. And when they decided to create the world, what they were doing, and to create man in their image, they created man and put him into the world, and they shared their love with him and said, why don't you go love one another and spread our love around all of the world? And the Bible says that's where love comes from. It has its source and origin in God. It is brought to the earth in people made in God's image, and that we now are called to spread that love in relationships. So you may be thinking okay, I get it, that's where love comes from, but what is love? What is love? Love is commitment driven. It's commitment driven. I'm going to use movie movie love as a foil for these points right here. Movie love says uh, love is emotional driven. Gospel, love says love is commitment-driven. It's not as much based on the feelings as it is based on the commitment-driven actions. Love in the biblical sense is based on commitment-driven actions. Verse 9, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. It was made known among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. You know, as John is writing this letter to Christians uh, who are struggling in things of life and faith in the, cert- in the first century, he is saying that they can know the substance and, and um, have certainty about God's love for them because they can look at something God did. He is saying you can know that God's love has been manifest to you because God sent His Son into the world. You can see it. You know people who saw Him face to face, John could have said. I saw Him. I hung out with Him all the time. Trust me. We know God's love because God did something about it. It was a commitment that led to an action. What was the action? Jesus becomes man so that he might take on the sin of the world, be punished for it by God, and then be raised from the dead so that in him we might be raised to new life also. It's an action. It's a commitment-driven and commitment-based love. Was emotion involved in that process for Jesus? Yes. The night before Jesus was betrayed, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And some theologians, and I agree with them, they say that in the Garden Jesus was beginning to take on the sin of humanity. And in the garden, He is having a rough go, y'all. He's saying, Father, if there's any other way for this plan to go forward, take this cup or take this suffering from me. Jesus was experiencing emotion and He's calling out to God and saying, I am struggling Nonetheless, not my will, but your will be done. He was committed to the action. He was committed to the mission. Even the next day, Him going to the cross, the author of Hebrews says it this way, For the joy of of the salvation that would come through the act, for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. So what this means, if you are a Christian or considering uh, Christianity, it means... That love, a deep, a deeper and more real sense of love, can't simply be based primarily on emotions. There's something so much deeper and richer out there. It's a love of commitment that, that drives us to do things. It's commitment-driven love that, that pushes us toward action. Gospel love means committing yourself to the good of others ahead of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less and thinking about the object of your love more. It's not necessarily thinking less of yourself, like you have to think you're terrible or something so you can think someone else is better. It's just this attitude of, and this desire to think less about yourself so that you might use that mental, emotional energy, whatever, and think about other people. That's gospel love. So wrapped up in this view of gospel love is that it's not just about what I get out of it. It's, it becomes this self-sacrificing thing. It becomes about not, not my own self-centeredness, but what I can give to someone else, not what I can get for them. It presupposes this. It, it kind of flows out of the first one. Now, remember the earlier definition of love. I'm going to put it up there. Love is when someone or something makes me feel good right now. Here's the way that I'm going to define gospel love, and the Matt defines this. Love is a passionate commitment to put another person first. That love is a passionate commitment to put another person first. Simply, love is putting someone else's needs above your own, their interests above your interests. How do we see this play out in the gospel? At every single turn of Jesus' life, think about this. In His incarnation, Jesus' is taking on flesh, is what that means, and coming to earth, He left the comforts of heaven to enter into the sin and misery of this world for us. In His actions, the way He lived, He hung out with us and rejects and sinners and terrible people so that He might bring them hope, so that He might bring them life, so that He might forgive their sins. He took on suffering on the cross for our sin, so that in His suffering we might not ever have to experience that kind of suffering at the hand of God. Jesus was was raised from the dead and in the resurrection He is passionately committed to our needs. He was raised from the dead and God raised Jesus from the dead so that through union to Jesus by faith we might also be raised to new and eternal life for us. In his ascension, when Jesus goes back to heaven, returns to heaven, and now is there with God the Father, it says that he did that so that he could send the Holy Spirit down into us so that we might believe and so that it might be easier to understand things than it was before. He did that for us. And now it says that Jesus lives in heaven, and what's he doing? He's hanging out playing fantasy football. No. Right now in heaven, Jesus is praying for us. He lives to intercede for us. The gospel is, it's literally, in the proper use of that word, it's saturated with othersness. That is a deep sense of gospel love. It's It's a passionate commitment to put someone else first. Thirdly, and it flows from the others, love is stable, it's not temporary or fading. Uh, There's a Christian college in South Carolina named Columbia International University. And one of their former presidents was a guy named Robertson McQuilkin. Kind of a strange last name, but I won't give him too much trouble for it. Uh, Robertson and his wife, Muriel, uh, had been married for 55 years when she passed away from Alzheimer's. But 15 years before she passed away, Robertson had a very uh, difficult decision to make. He was in... The job of his dreams, at, uh, the president of this university. He was getting to travel a lot. He was a renowned speaker. Um, he was killing it, y'all. He was doing amazing things. Very sought-after speaker and all this. But at home, his wife was getting worse and worse. Her condition was degenerative. It was it was causing her her health and everything about her to go downhill. That's what g- degenerative means. Um, So he decided that he needed to step down from his role as president. But listen to how he made this decision. This is from a letter he wrote to the university. Recently, it has become apparent that Muriel is contented most of the time she is with me, and almost none of the time I am away from her. It is not just discontent. She is filled with fear, even terror, That she has lost me and she always goes in search of me when I leave home. Some of you have parents or maybe grandparents that struggle with or deal with Alzheimer's and this is familiar. The mind begins to, to wear away and things don't make sense anymore. There's disorientation, all kinds of stuff. He says, So it's clear to me that she needs me now full time. This decision was made in a way 42 years ago when I promised to care for Muriel in sickness and in health till death do us part. So as I told the students and some of the faculty, as a man of my word, integrity has something to do with this decision. But so does fairness. She has cared for me fully and sacrificially all these years. If I cared for her for the next 40 years, I would not be out of her debt. Duty, however, can sound grim and stoic. But there's more. I love Muriel. She is a delight to me her childlike dependence and confidence her warm love and occasional flashes of wit that i used to relish so her happy spirit and tough resilience in the face of her continual distressing frustration i don't have to care for her i get to it is a high honor to care so for so wonderful a person that last line y'all i don't have to care for her i get to it's an honor To care for so wonderful a person. You want love like that. I want love like that. So where does love like that come from? It comes from God. McQuilkin says elsewhere that that kind of love comes out of an understanding of God's love for you. He actually said that being with his wife during those 13 years of her suffering as she slowly died, through that he had a picture of God's caring and patient and sacrificial love for him. He knew more about God's love by loving his wife. Listen, y'all. Movie love is a love that says, I will love you if you serve me. And gospel love says, I will love you and then I will serve you. Movie love says, if you serve me, I will love you in response. Gospel love says, I love you, so I will serve you. Movie love says, fix my needs, fill my needs, make me happy, and then I will love you in response. The gospel says, I love you. And because God loves us and He initiates with us first, then we, out of a sense of delight, serve Him. Gospel love comes out an understanding that Jesus loved you when you were at your worst. Romans 5, 8-10 says, While we were still sinners, God gave Jesus for us. We weren't moving toward God, we were going the other direction. And the Gospel says, God came after us, said, I love you, I'm going to save you and change you. And he changes us and he sends us in a different direction. So what do we do with this? How does this play out in our lives? Um, when I was trying to figure out what to like, name this third point, I started thinking about the idea of making this love real. But when I put it on the screen, I just couldn't put making love. <laughs> so we're, what does it look like to do love this way? What does it look like to love in a way that says, I love you first, and that loving commitment is going to drive me to serve you? What does this look like? Three applications tonight when it comes to dating and marriage. And look, I realize there are some of you in here who that may not be a reality for you. That may not be something you desire or think will ever happen. And so next week we're going to talk about what a full life of of singleness might look like. But tonight, let me make three applications for dating. First, this has to inform who you should date. All right, you guys, you've got your list, right? Whether it's actually been written down or it's just something in your head. The list, the thing that you want from someone that you want to date. Let's bring out those lists. Actually, can we share those? No, no one wants to. Because what we're all going to realize about our lists is that the person that we think... This list is about, isn't a person, it's an idea. That person doesn't exist. I'm so sorry if I'm the first person to tell you that. That person doesn't exist. And as you look at those things, look at how many of those things are actually just things that would make you feel good about yourself. I want someone who's attractive so that I can continually be satisfied by their attraction. I want someone who is nice, so they can be nice to me for the rest of my life. I want someone who is amazing, so their amazingness will spill all over me. I want someone who, whatever it is, these things all end up being about us. It's a self-centeredness coming back around. I want someone who makes me a better person. Do you understand how selfish that is? It sounds great. It's really selfish. I would encourage you to revisit that list. How, much of, or how many of the things on there reflect some of the qualities that Robertson McQuilkin had that are about serving someone else? I, I think she's beautiful because of the way that she serves people. I want to marry somebody who gives himself for others. I want to marry someone who, when he walks into a room, it doesn't all have to be about him. He walks in and tries to meet other people's needs and greet outsiders. Or, is anything in your realm of desire, or, desirable qualities approaching that it should. Secondly, this, this informs how we should date. We're going to spend a few weeks on this in November. Let me just ask for now, how much of your dating life, in whatever way that's looked like, or maybe not, but how much of your dating life could be characterized by, a, by self-sacrifice, self-denial, and other-centered humility? How much does what you do with another person Uh, Move towards serving them and their needs and not just your own needs? How much of your time with another person reflects a heart rather than just that begs for affirmation? Are you, when you go to someone or when you date them, are you in this relationship because you just need their affirmation? You need to know how much and how wonderful you are and, and all these things. Are you just begging for that for someone? If you are, then I think you should break up because that's a terrible basis for a relationship. Sorry, that was pretty snarky. Um, Let's talk about the uh, the L-bomb real quick, okay? You know, those three little words. Um, In dating, a gospel love is a love that cares enough about the other person to not say I love you until it's appropriate. To not say that until it's appropriate. You have to know that little phrase carries tremendous weight and also tremendous responsibility. Because if a richer view of love is this gospel love, this serving others love, when you say, I love you, do you mean it? Or are you actually saying, I love you, I love the way you make me feel right now. I love the way when we make out, I love the way that makes me feel. I love when you come and spend all your free time in my apartment, I love the way that makes me feel. I love the way when you give me PDA in public, I love the way that makes me feel in front of my friends, makes me feel affirmed and cared for and all that stuff. Is it about the way it makes you feel when you say I love you? Or is it about I'm committed to you? I'm committed to doing whatever it takes to serve your needs. Lastly, right here, it actually informs how we break up and how we respond to a breakup. So if you're the breakupper, um, some of your relationships actually you need to break up. You shouldn't be in them. Um, relationships that are toxic and harmful for you and for the other person. Is breaking up with somebody unloving? No. If you should break up with them, it's not unloving to break up with them. It is the opposite, it's loving. But it might actually, uh, the way that you do it can be unloving. Let me give you this suggestion. You don't lead, when you go to break up with someone, you don't lead with all the reasons uh, why your needs haven't been met. You're so terrible. You're so selfish, which means you didn't actually just make your life all about me. Um, You don't throw up your insecurities on the other person and cause them to feel responsible for the weight of why that relationship failed, y'all. That is self-centered love. That is movie love. That is not doing this for the good of the other person love. Also, you shouldn't just be short or passive-aggressive for a time so they'll break up with you first. (laughs) I'm just going to give them the cold shoulder and see if we can wait it out here. And make them break up with me when they decide I I don't like them anymore. Instead, when you go to break up, you just need to own the fact that you have messed up also. And you lead with your own brokenness. Say, look, I was a terrible boyfriend. I was a terrible girlfriend. I really shouldn't have said or done a number of the things I did or said. I'm sorry. This is a bad relationship. We should end it. And you text each other for another month and finally break up again. Okay. But we'll get to that in November. Um, If you're the break up e, the one who's getting broken up with, this means you can't just start slinging your fear and insecurity on the other person and say, you are the worst person ever. I did everything right. You did everything wrong. I hate you. You're a terrible person. It may mean you look at the other person and say, okay. And when your friends want to come to you and tell you how much of a terrible person that other person is, it may mean that you say, hey, let's just, let's just stop talking about it. It may mean that you stop the bashing, because guess what? There's a real person over on the other end of that. Even if he or she was a jerk, and even if it takes you a long time to be able to forgive them, there's a real person who deserves dignity and love just the same as you would deserve or want. All right. Mandy from TEDx, she was wrapping up her talk. She says this, What I want from love is a guarantee. Not just that I will be loved today, but that I will be loved by someone tomorrow, and that I will continue to be loved by the person that I love indefinitely. I agree. Mandy wants the right thing. And friends, I'm going to suggest that that kind of passionate, committed, perfect love that will always be there at every turn and will never fail you is only found in Jesus You can't find it from another person. What you can, though, find is you can find someone who has Jesus in them, who is living a life of dependence on gospel love, and as Jesus is filling them, they can begin more and more to mirror Him and to look like Him, and their love can begin to be less emotional-driven and more commitment-driven, less temporary and more permanent, less self-centered and more others-centered and self-sacrificial. And when you see someone who has that, take them. And when you become that, you will know that Jesus is in you and you will be infinitely more attractive to the right kind of people because they will see Jesus in you. That's how you're set up for a lifetime of love. Let's pray together.